What separates a good anime from a great anime? Why do some animes stick with us long after we've watched it? Welcome to the workshop. I'm Emily. And I'm Chris. We're two friends from high school and now aspiring writers. And in this podcast, we discuss and deconstruct storytelling elements in some of our favorite animes. Today in the workshop, we'll be talking about Avatar The Last Airbender. (laughs) Yes. So specifically, we will just be focusing on book one or season one, uh, which premiered on Nickelodeon in 2005. If you haven't watched Avatar yet, first of all, what are you doing? What are you doing? But if you haven't, we do highly, highly recommend that you give it a watch first before coming back and listening to our analysis, which will be full of lovely spoilers. So the show takes place in a world where people called benders have the ability to control one of four elements, air, water, fire, or earth, and the avatar has the unique ability to control all four elements. The current avatar is an airbender named Aang who has been missing for 100 years, and when he's discovered frozen in an iceberg by Katara and her brother Sokka in the South Pole, Aang wakes up to find that in the century he's been gone, the Fire Nation has waged war with the rest of the world. The first season of the show follows Aang, Katara, and Sokka as they journey to the Northern Water Tribe in order to find a waterbender so that Aang can start mastering the four elements and eventually face the Fire Lord and end the war. Love that! (laughs) No pressure! Okay, Good. the summary is just formality because we all know, I'm assuming we all know what Avatar is about. I hope we all know what Avatar mm-hmm, is about. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess we'll just jump into our overall impressions. This will be mostly spoiler free and I'll just kind of be covering some of my overarching thoughts about the show. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just have to collect myself <laughs> for a second. It's crazy. Like this is probably the fourth time I watched the series and it's I think just to zoom out a little bit, it's really cool to see the way that Avatar has kind of ascended (laughs) into a cultural reset status. And I'm seeing, no doubt, yeah. And I'm seeing more and more appreciation for the show in recent years. And I do not say this lightly. It is legitimately probably one of my favorite pieces of media ever of all time. Not even, I don't even say that like in a nostalgia way, because honestly, as a kid, I wasn't as invested in the story like it was just a show that I would sometimes see on TV Mm -hmm. but as I watched it in its entirety as an adult many times um, the show I think to me is just honestly almost pitch perfect (laughs) and I think the writing is fantastic the characters all of them um, if even if not especially the villains, Mm, are layered and complex. And I think the world is really immersive. I think bending as a magic system is really interesting lore-wise, but also just visually very cool. Mm-hmm. And then I think just to uh, like go into a taste thing, <laughs> I really love that the show has this almost vignette style of storytelling um, in the sense that almost every episode is a contained story with the overarching plot just kind of running parallel to um, like these smaller adventures. And I think that because of that, we feel like we really know these characters in a more deep and meaningful way. Um, and so they feel like they're not just defined by their single yeah. motivations, but which is what we see in a lot of other 
shows and animes. I think one of the main reasons that I love Avatar is that um, I think it's also at uh, at its heart a bit of a road trip story or like a travel story where um, we're just kind of dropped into this highly interesting world and it has all of its nuances and all of these cultures. And I think as an audience, we feel like we're exploring that world mm. along with the characters. And it really does a good job of making every episode feel like its own adventure and lingering in all these different parts of the world. And that's what makes the world building um, and the characters really stand out and feel super fleshed out Mm -hmm. so yeah watching it back in retrospect especially these early episodes I just have like a newfound admiration for how well the show lays the groundwork for its characters its themes and like the world and the plot Mm. and I've really really come to appreciate that the balance the show strikes between being a kid show but also not being afraid of tackling very hard hitting themes yeah. like oh, yeah. the reality and consequences of war or like <laughs> cultural genocide colonialism Yikes. and like a fascist <laughs> government so mm-hmm. yeah it's like you're there's literally all of those things in a kid show so i just think it's amazing and fantastic mm-hmm. i second that opinion i watched it for the first time when i was in university And I really enjoyed myself even when I was watching this show for the second time for the podcast. I like Mm -hmm. had to remind myself to take notes because it was just so enjoyable (laughs) to the point where I like forgot that I was watching it. I was supposed to be watching it with an analytical eye. And even then it was like, oh, like it does so many things well. I really don't have a lot of things to like nitpick about it. So I will, Mm -hmm. I think I will agree with you when I say this show is like perfect (laughs) perfect question mark i don't think that's an exaggeration we do not say that lightly (laughs) about the characters i especially like its villains and its antagonists Mm -hmm. um but also it's it's very likable and redeemable characters even protagonists that you do feel like have to have some some sort of redemption like Sokka like Sokka being one of the Mm. the main three and still having um very evident flaws that kind of have to be redeemed throughout the series I think that's very that's very interesting to include um I feel like for series and shows there's usually a great advantage to being a character driven show I don't know if that's just the personal taste thing but I tend to Mm favor shows that are character driven I don't know why maybe it's because when you're getting to know characters it feels a little bit like an organic way of getting to know someone new and because of that you're just more intrigued with their character Mm -hmm. and you want to learn more about them and so I don't have many like solid shows that come to mind when I think of shows that are primarily plot driven but I would say that this show is both equal parts plot driven and character driven um Mm -hmm. I think that it it has such a great mix of like drama suspense adventure fantasy and then also like comedy and lightheartedness for the like kids aspect um and then finally just the fact that this show is basically completely based off of like eastern asian cultures in a way that isn't like it's fantastic um, trying to use that to sell itself do you want do you know what i mean it's not like showing off the fact that it's diversifying itself in that oh here's something that's finally not whitewashed but it's Mm -hmm. truly just showing us the beauty of um of these cultures and what these cultures have to offer so i really appreciate that 
and actually like if you actually zoom out and look it's like none of these characters are like none of them are white mm-hmm. like I think um I think the air nomads are based on what Tibetan culture maybe uh yes um and then yeah and then the waterbenders are like based in Inuit culture mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. then yeah and then East Asian culture so yeah, that's actually something that I didn't really think about that much, especially as a kid, but even on on rewatches. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. like yeah, completely, cool. completely Eastern yes, Asian. Yeah. Okay. Let's yeah. talk about episodes one to three, the premise of the exposition, <laughs> right? I I'm constantly surprised at how much the writers can squeeze into a 20-minute episode. And I think even just looking at this first episode, like what do we learn in the first episode alone? Mm-hmm. Like we establish the main cast and and sort of like what their personalities and ambitions are, like what this show really does well, especially in these opening um, episodes is establishing and understanding the stakes. Mm-hmm. And I think that doing that early is so important because I feel like it's – when when the audience understands what the stakes are, that is what makes the show compelling because we're constantly wanting to see um, how the characters are going to like rise to yeah. meet their motivations. And yeah, so I just think that like the first three episodes are, are really great for laying the groundwork. Mm-hmm. I remember like I was watching the first episode and I had to pause after like a few minutes in because I I had to write notes like I was like yeah you're just like oh my god (laughs) just the first conversation so the very first scene starts with just Katara and Sokka in their boat and they're just conversing Mm -hmm. back and forth and I was so mind blown at just how much information could be extracted from just watching one conversation between these two characters um as you said it's so clear the establishment of their personalities, mm-hmm. um, how Sokka f- kind of just like flippantly dismisses Katara's water bending abilities. Um, but in doing so, that reveals something about his character. But he also gives viewers like a debrief on how water bending works. So not right. only do we get, yeah. it's kind of like we're learning more about Sokka while also learning more about yes. the world. Um, yes. And then. Yes, it's established clearly what the stakes are. And then as we move forward throughout the series, the stakes constantly get higher in a very yes. like yeah. obvious way, but not all at yeah. once. It's always like mm-hmm. a few episodes mm-hmm. later, the stakes are get, get higher. A few episodes yeah. later, it gets higher. So the pacing mm-hmm. of that is incredible as well. So, yeah. you know, so yeah. far, no, no bad things to say about that. I know. And honestly, like... Just to also talk about lore exposition as well, Uh like you mentioned with like the waterbending, I feel like like some animes just can't get their lore exposition right. Mm. But I just really love when like shows and books are can explain their magic systems or their lore in very interesting ways. So for example, I think in episode two, we sort of see a first look into Aang's avatar state. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's kind of like this thing that he he doesn't have control of over yet, but it's just this immense power that he gets um, when he's in danger. Um, and I really like that they tie this idea of the avatar state um, in episode three, where they go to the Southern Air Temple. I really like that they tie that into Aang's Aang having to confront his grief and mm-hmm. anger and sadness and shame about running away from his responsibility um and i feel like that's 
so important that they kind of like they take the time to really set up this very important aspect of Aang's character, which is that he has to confront this responsibility that and this position of power and this role that he didn't ask for, but that it is his duty. And um, especially in episode three, the writing and the setup of that episode and the way that it progresses is just so masterful <laughs> because it starts off with just like Aang super excited to show them the air temple. Mm-hmm. And then the whole time you see Katara and Sokka really uneasy and reluctant to kind of break Aang's sense of innocence that like you're, you might see things that are going to be very difficult for you to see and and that's just a very like it kind of creates that tension throughout the episode and then finally when Aang realizes like everyone that he knows and loved has been killed while he was you know frozen in an iceberg Mm -hmm. um it sort of triggers his avatar state again and so I I think that's another example of just really good lore exposition as well as multi-level writing and tying um uh, a plot beat into a character moment. Yes, if that makes sense. Yes. I personally think that for every kid, one of the mile major emotional milestones is how to control and deal with your emotions. I'm glad that they tackled that idea in episode three of like grief, especially because grief is yes. just such a hard yeah. thing for a child to have to bear. Um, yeah. And I'm glad that I think that they handled that topic with a lot of class because I think that mm-hmm. you could have shown him like experiencing that grief through a very cathartic emotional breakdown, but instead they right. they sh- decided to show it by him entering the avatar state, which is supposed yes. to imply a very high degree of emotional like distress or tension. Yes. And so yeah. that was handled with a lot of class. I thought that was very, very good of them. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, just this topic, the idea of um, it's, it's okay to kind of have it, let it get to you. It's okay because it happens yeah. to Aang as well, right? Who yeah. is our main protagonist. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end, as long as you learn from that situation and yeah. you realize what you do have, because Towards mm-hmm. the end of that episode, the entire tension of that like topic is resolved when he realizes that now he has Katara and Sokka, and that's right. going to be his yeah. new family. And so mm-hmm. I'm glad that they had that like optimistic twist at the very end to yeah. um to like resolve that conflict. Yeah, and like you said about like it's very important for kids to see that not only is it okay to feel these things, mm-hmm. it's necessary to feel those things. Mm-hmm. Um, awesome. So let's move on to episodes four to six. Yes. I love Boomy's character. I think he's such a fun character. I think the fact that they use it as an opportunity to show flashbacks of um, Aang's like, like Aang a hundred years ago, yeah. like having fun with Boomy and then taking this like, basically like turning this whole episode into this like weird adventure. And it also is like a really fun time to explore Omashu. And I think that having this episode early on is great because we return to Omashu later on in season two. And because we have this episode where we've gotten to know Bumi and we've gotten to know Omashu, when Omashu gets taken in season two, it has a lot more impact. So I think that's kind of what I mean as well when I say like, laying the groundwork is just so good in this show Mm -hmm. in terms of laying the groundwork it's so important to me that 
characters always learn something from whatever they're going through. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad that from this episode, though it was just, you know, its own contained fun adventure episode, they learn Mm -hmm. to, oh, like they learn to think outside of the box. When are they going to use that again? Oh, in a lot of episodes in the future. So we we never see any episode or scene go to waste here. Everything is for, for character development, which is awesome. Exactly. And I also like with Boomy Spar with Aang is that he's really um, you. It, it doesn't just it isn't just like a visual thing. It's also a, like a, a character moment because mm-hmm. like Boomy is basically calling Aang out for you know using typical airbending techniques of evading <laughs> and avoiding aggression, yeah, and yeah. Um, that really comes back later when Aang has to learn how to earthbend and has a really hard time with it. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's just like themes are constantly established and brought back later, and it's just. So good. The pacing is unparalleled. Unparalleled. Um, episode six is when they meet Haru. I th- I think this is the episode where we get really our first glance up close at like, um, at like oppression and injustice that exists right. in the world in terms of how exactly the Fire Nation controls and oppresses certain villages and towns, both on like a political and a human humanitarian plane. So, you know, Katara gets gets herself into um, the prisons to save Haru and his family. Um, along the way, she... I mean, I think that one of the things that I really appreciate from this show is that they always show you the consequences of our actions, whether they're done by a protagonist, a side character, or an antagonist. Because mm-hmm. I do think that sometimes I, f- I feel ways about characters... <laughs> that try to like stick their nose into something that they don't necessarily fully understand Mm -hmm. and at the beginning of this episode I felt like Katara was just doing like doing just that like she was always really uh, Mm -hmm. idealistic optimistic um trying to solve problems by saying oh you just you guys just need some hope (laughs) (laughs) right um but then you get to see the very real consequences of her actions. Like Haru gets taken into custody um, by the Fire Nation soldiers because she's the one who tells him, don't be afraid to use your bending, but then he gets arrested. So, um, you know, there's there's consequences to her actions. And I think that's one of the things that I really like about this show as well. It portrays life both mm. in a rose-colored lens, but also realistically, it's like, it's so paradoxical to say, but they do it. They They do both and they do it both great. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. I think that this episode is a really good example of one of the things that I really love about Avatar specifically is that, you know, they have they take the time to linger in the stories of these random people and explore and really go into the details of what a war torn world really looks like Mm -hmm. and how that trickles down into the lives of real people instead of just because sometimes like when you're just focused on like. The, the, the big bad and the big good. Yeah, it's kind of like, and that's fine. But <laughs> again, we're more interested in the human stories. And mm. I think that those are the ones that hit the hardest. Um, For sure. Yeah. And so I'm just really partial to that. Um, and I think, yeah, again, what you said about Katara, like her sticking her nose into <laughs> into everyone's business out of this like sense of like moral justice mm-hmm. is it's true to her character. Oh yeah. Um, it's not just a convenient plot thing no, no, to like no. get the adventure started. It's very true to her character, and I think like I almost like that it's portrayed a little bit as her being very naive because I think that that's also a very resonant thing for kids. Is like 
Yeah, you know, that's true. You feel something and you believe in it so strongly, but you know, we just feel so powerless sometimes. Um, I think that's very relevant mm-hmm. to the world right now. Mm-hmm. Um, young people just feeling very powerless in a very oppressive situation. Um, and so I like that they explore this idea of yeah, the the road to doing the right thing is very difficult. Um, yes. But there's still, at the end of the day, it's optimistic. And she does break the prisoners out. And hope is very powerful. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like you kind of get whiplash a little bit in the best way. <laughs> um, they explore all the nuances of what it means yeah. to stand up for yourself and to have hope and to face the consequences of your actions. It's just really great. Awesome. Okay. Episode seven and eight, they go to the spirit world and then they also learn about Avatar Roku. So this is yes. this these two episodes are very um lore heavy. Yeah, lore heavy, exactly. Yeah. Um these episodes are lore heavy, but they don't feel like a a burden to watch. Sometimes I feel right. like if lore isn't done well, it can just be it can just feel very info dumpy. Mm-hmm. And I think that what I really like about this is the spirit world, specifically the way it's portrayed in this show, I think this show uses um, the spirit world as a way to kind of um, create this ethereal yes. um, vibe to an episode. And I, I really like the way they use the the idea of like mysticism and it's kind and of- And it's very important in- for a lot of Eastern Asian cultures as well. Yeah. It's very yeah. important to it, their It feels very true to that. Yeah. I agree. Um, so I think these episodes are are really great. And I think, yeah, they're just great on multiple levels. Um, Aang confronts a lot of things here. And mm-hmm. he, he confronts his greater responsibility. Um, and then we meet Roku. He also kind of sets the stakes for the rest of the show. Um, mm-hmm. Because he's the one that tells him, like, this is what Sozin's Comet is. And this right. is like, the stakes here's get the, higher. Here's the deadline for when yeah. you have to kill Ozai. Yeah. Like, it's not just like you can kill him whenever you want. It's like <laughs> you literally have to confront him like mm-hmm. this summer or whatever. That's and like so what I, I felt think- before quarantine. Mm-hmm. Now it's like, <laughs> now it's like, I have no deadlines. I have no deadlines <laughs> ever. <laughs> yeah. So I think that that's just, it's really great because it's, it's lore exposition, but it's also, um, it's done in a very interesting way. And um, because of everything that we know about Aang's character mm. up until this point, the, the sort of, it, this is really a turning point for him where he's like, he's, he's really starting to feel the pressure. So yeah, like you said, it just really raises the stakes. And then the small things that we learned from this episode as well, like, I believe this is the first time I think that we really get to see Sokka's genius just <laughs> jump out. Yeah. Like, I think I see myself in Sokka in a lot of ways. Oh, yeah. And I mean, maybe I, yeah. it's just a young adult thing. Like, mm-hmm. young adults <laughs> think that they can relate to any pessimistic um, character. But the oh, way God, that yeah. we start to get a true sense of Sokka's real character um, mm. and the four-dimensional aspect of it is like... And also on Sokka's character, like, it's it's just very believable that he would mm-hmm. be like that. I mean, it's he's literally traveling with two very powerful benders. He's constantly mm-hmm. surrounded by benders. And he's kind of had to be pushed into this, quote-unquote, head of the family role very young in his life. Yeah. Because his him and Katara's mom passed away and also his dad is off fighting in the war so all of these things are just very realistic and I think on rewatches I definitely do appreciate Sokka's character a lot more and just the way that he's able to 
yeah, just prove himself like in the midst of like being a non-bender and yeah, I don't know. I just like really relate to his cynicism <laughs> um, like in the he, best way. Yeah, he uses his brains, which is all he's got, mm-hmm. and he uses it to its full capacity. So can't relate, yeah. but... <laughs> <laughs> But I try, but and I that's try. the lesson. You here. know what? I try to use my brain to its full capacity. Its full capacity is low, so <laughs> I'm trying my best. I, I do the best with what I have. <laughs> exactly. Oh All right. Um, episode nine. Okay, so episode nine is when <laughs> Katara is. She kind of gets like jealous when you're mm-hmm. when she's watching um Aang learn how to water bend. I. Yeah think okay when I was watching this episode I initially actually thought this was out of character for her because I think Uh that most people when you try to describe Katara and this might just be me Hmm. I don't know when when you try to describe Katara to somebody else you think of her as the mom friend and when you think of a mom friend you think of a friend who is like she's like the cool collected one of the group um Mm -hmm. the responsible one but yeah. I'm glad that she like loses her head in this episode. Yes. Um, and then yeah. you, the more you think about it, you think, oh, this is actually so in character for her because right. she's so competitive. Her sense mm-hmm. of pride is so uh, reliant on her intelligence and on her skills mm-hmm. and on her bending skills. Mm-hmm. And so you realize that, yeah, this actually is in character for her. And I think that the the this potential misreading of her character is a good thing because it means that she's not only bound to one certain um like one certain dimension like she's not just right. the mom friend she's so much more than that um yeah i think is a testament to how amazingly nuanced her character writing is <laughs> i found this whole thing with a and katara very relatable just mm-hmm. the sense of you defining or having katara define so much of herself on on some personality trait or some ability so in this case her waterbending and then having someone completely new to waterbending just be so good at it so immediately (laughs) when you feel when she feels like she's been working yeah exactly and I just when I was watching it again I was like you know what hashtag relatable because (laughs) sometimes like you know when I think about like my own career as a designer and seeing people from completely different fields being able to pivot so successfully into, yeah. you know, something that you've been working really hard on mm-hmm. um, or same thing with writing, right? Um, I have something in my notes under under this episode uh, called Why is Iroh the Goat? Um, Iroh! So- I love Iroh. And so, you know, I would just like to take this moment to a moment of silence to just appreciate Iroh. Ready? Here we go. Awesome. Thank you. (laughs) You were laughing through that moment of silence. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I mean, Iroh, I I feel like I have a lot of things to say about Iroh. I will like save it for when we talk about future seasons <laughs> sure. because I I can't talk off the cuff about Iroh. Uh-huh. He, his whole character just like – I'm like vibrating right now. His whole character <laughs> just makes me so warm and fuzzy but also an emotional wreck. So, And how yeah. amazing is it to see an uh, – like – a senior character get mm-hmm. so much action. Like mm-hmm. I feel like elderly characters these days are so confined to either being like the close-minded obstacle that the protag has yes. to overcome yeah. or mm-hmm. the very wise 
uh, father figure, which I mean, he still is. He is, yeah. But Ira has his like own adventures. So yeah. just thank you. Thank you for yeah. portraying elders in a way that isn't just static. Like he's such it, an active 100%. elderly character. He's such a pivotal role in this story. Mm-hmm. Like he he really is like a very important character, like especially in relation to Zuko's character arc, but even on his own, he you really see him have to um confront his past and mm-hmm. and yeah, like you said, it, like it's he just he gets a great, his own arc, basically. He gets his own arc, yeah. And and like you said, like adult or elder characters often are just there in in the background Mm -hmm. to advance other people's plots forward but he does really stand on his own and i think i think he's one of the best characters in the show so hard agree (laughs) all right episode 10 i freaking love this episode i know you love love this episode episode. i love you can go first for this one (laughs) (laughs) this is i think my second favorite episode second only to episode 13 Mm. the blue spirit um, mm-hmm. So this is the episode where we meet Jet, who is kind of this um, Robin Hood-esque mm-hmm. character. He literally, like, lives in the forest or something with his, like, his <laughs> other friends. And they kind of, like, yeah, they're just, like, a bit of, like, a Robin Hood squad um, social justice vigilantes. I don't know. Is that the right word? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So I think the reason that I like this show so much is because the show also goes into – um, kind of how war affects people differently. And Jet is someone whose ideology and motivations you can honestly, like, justifiably understand. And he's portrayed That's as this right. charismatic, likable leader. He's, he's you know, fighting for the little guy. And he's just <laughs> trying to stand up in any way that he can and really find these small victories. Um, but at the same time, the show really emphasizes this idea that we can't forget people's humanity, even if they are our enemies. And that's a theme that comes back throughout the show, like with Katara later on um, having to face like her own grief. Mm -hmm. And even with um, when Aang has to confront um, the reality of of what it means to, to end the war. And so this is kind of like a teaser into that, that theme. And, and also like, it's just like a very nuanced and morally gray, situation to present in a kid's show and I think it was done really well overcoming grief very difficult to do understanding manipulation very hard to understand um Mm -hmm. I think isn't it like I think it's whack that we could put our trust in a random stranger if they're charismatic enough if they are if they seemingly have the justified opinion about like about something as you said like Mm. it's understandable right and Mm. I think that's completely true but at the same time because we think that it's understandable that's um when we are susceptible to becoming manipulated um because like Katara and Aang we can think oh but they're they're fighting for a good cause I don't understand right so um as you said like the morally gray being taught in a kid's show is just like we need that in a kid's show especially just watching it back i i don't really see him as as a villain like mm-hmm. i see him as someone who is misguided. a product yeah misguided for sure and a product of you know the the situation and the just the 
he's been he's been dealt a pretty <laughs> crappy hand in life. Yes. And I can yes. see how those ideas would have manifested in him. So yeah, he's like a super interesting character. I'm glad that we got two different vibes from this episode because it's like mm-hmm. you can teach so many things in these yeah. 20 minutes, you know? Exactly. And I like that the show kind of starts off a little bit lighthearted because like Katara is a little bit enamored yeah. with him. <laughs> Like, that's just so fun. I just, it's just, I like that every episode starts off super fun Mm -hmm. and is able to escalate um, in in such interesting ways. So we learn that Aang's greatest fear is not being there for those who need him, which in reality actually already happened. Yes. Where, and it's like, you realize like, where do you go from here when you realize that your greatest fear has been realized? And yeah. then also, like, that fear, that fear, like, I believe that fear can really make you paranoid about the future. And I was just thinking right. to myself, like, what a dark <laughs> implication for kids to, like, think about. <laughs> yep. But uh, anyways, yeah, this is the episode where we contrast um, Aang's past with Zuko's past. I really like this episode because I do think that this episode almost subverts what we think we already know about our protag and our main antagonist so far mm-hmm. because we see that Aang has something bad happened to him in the past and his reaction to that is that he runs away. And right. then on the other hand, you see Zuko getting himself into a bad situation because of his morality Mm -hmm. because he initially tries to talk back against one of the generals in his father's war room about Mm -hmm. attacking like attacking this village unnecessarily or something and then not only that but after he gets himself into this crappy situation he begs for mercy like he gets down on his knees and in front of his father and Mm -hmm. i would say that in all aspects when you compare the two backstories, Zuko's backstory is particularly hard to swallow because I, right. as an audience, we often feel like there's a great injustice that happens mm-hmm. when a really terrible fate is dealt upon somebody who we believe is morally good. And we, yes, you know, it's yeah. established that he's morally good when he talks back against the general in the war room. And so in mm-hmm. all aspects, um, Zuko has the, painful backstory the more painful backstory and then flash forward to the present and we see like what do we see Zuko is our antagonist we're supposed right. to hate him and it's right. like you just feel that life is unfair you know yeah I agree 100% and I think that first of all I think um this show really strives and achieves um at constantly showing Aang and Zuko yeah, first of all, how their their journeys are paralleled, but also how they are just products of their upbringing and their circumstance mm-hmm. and how they were both born into expectations, positions yeah. of power for a myriad of reasons beyond their control and how they feel the pressure from those responsibilities and those expectations. Mm-hmm. And again, what you said about Zuko being sort of portrayed here maybe for not the first time but like one of the clearer times um that he's he's morally good or that there's goodness in him Mm -hmm. and i think that that is super important because he's been portrayed as a villain up until this point um so this kind of subverts that but then also the show doesn't um it doesn't like it's not like it, it sticks with that like 
there are moments where in the show where you really see Zuko's goodness, yeah. but then there are also moments where he really just goes back to mm-hmm. being susceptible to, you know, the brainwashing of his upbringing. Yeah. Um, and he does, there are a lot of moments where, you know, he he betrays that goodness that's in him and um, he betrays Iroh. And so, but but through that, you're constantly like holding out hope for mm-hmm. seeing Zuko's character evolve. Um, but we get the groundwork here, right? Like we Yeah, we're, that, we're laying the groundwork here. Yeah, like yeah. you get that favor towards him starting in book yes. one, and, which makes his redemption arc in book two and three like all the more yeah. cathartic and like... Exactly. You feel like... Yeah, and right I think payoff. that he's just written... He's just written to be so... Um, he, to feel so particularly human because he's so flawed and he's constantly making mistakes and he's constantly being pulled by so many people in so many different directions that he really feels like lost at so many different instances in the show. Um, and so I think that's why in particular, I just love his character writing so much. I relate to him so much and I think a lot of people do. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's talk about the Blue Spirit episode 13. This is my favorite episode in this season for so many reasons. I think, number one, I think the stakes feel very high in this episode because mm-hmm. Aang getting captured and knowing that Sokka and Katara are incapacitated just like makes the stakes feel really high because you're like, how's Aang going to get out of this? And then when the Blue Spirit shows up, um, there's a bit of like mysticism and like mystery yeah. around like who's helping him. And so I just kind of like the sort of compelling um, question of like, ooh, what's happening? Is this like some new lore? <laughs> like, is this a uh-huh. spirit helping him out? Uh-huh. And, you know, what does he want? Like, is he actually really good? Like, is he like, is this spirit just like helping Aang for his own reasons? So there's a lot of, yeah, there's just like a mystery that sort of drives the episode forward. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, when the reveal that when the mask falls off and we realize that it's Zuko that's been helping Aang this whole time I think it's like you get that first taste of like yeah how powerful these two could be if they were allies. oh my gosh yes and I think that having the storm episode right before this episode yes! is so perfect for laying the groundwork yes. for these two characters and I feel like the fact that this episode and this this moment where they're helping each other or that where Zuko is helping Aang the fact that it comes so early in the series really sets the tone for the rest of their encounters for the rest of the show. And I think our perception of Aang and Zuko's relationship, I guess, is sort of colored by this episode and this moment. Mm-hmm. Because every time they meet from here on out, like you you wonder what's going to happen and you know that they they do have the the capacity to to like work together and to understand each other. And I think what really seals the deal on this episode is when Aang, at the very end, you know, Zuko is kind of, he's he's fainted and Aang is just kind of sitting there like sort of waiting for him to wake up. And he, as Zuko is waking up- makes me like emotional. It makes me emotional, yeah. Because Aang wonders if in another life they could be friends. And then there's this sort of like moment of silence and then Zuko just attacks him. And I think- the moment is so good visually, but also narratively. And I think that just that, that feeling of like lingering and like, we have the capacity to be friends maybe, but this is just the, the life we've been dealt for Mm -hmm. reasons beyond our control. And I think it feels very helpless, but also very hopeful in the same, in the same moment. It's just so good. I have a lot of feelings about this. This episode truly is 
like a catalyst or like a kickstart to his redemption arc. I would say that yes. his redemption mm-hmm. starts here. And though his motivations still remain foggy, um, <laughs> I think that mm-hmm. the counterintuitiveness of seeing Zuko as the like as the blue spirit that rescues Aang, it mm-hmm. sets into motion like a whole bunch of questions that we have we might have about his true nature. Yes, yeah. And it comes as a shock to viewers because the persona of the blue spirit, as you said, it's very, it's more like ethereal. It's, it belongs to the mm-hmm. spirit world. That's why it's called the yes, blue spirit. Yeah. Right. And mm-hmm. that is just so counter to what we already know about Zuko's personality, because mm-hmm. we are often presented with a Zuko that is very, as most firebenders are very flashy and very showy and very hot headed. But when yeah. we think about the blue, blue spirit, well, blue is a, is a cold color um, yeah. the spirit, the ethereal aspect and the side of him. That's like calm and has to be like cunning and almost sleuth like in order mm-hmm. in the way that he moves and like welds his blades sneaks in and out of the, of the, uh, wherever they were, the fire nation yeah. palace. Um, as I said, it goes back to just how, three-dimensional these characters actually yeah. are and that you yeah. you get to know those different dimensions of them the more you watch it the more you go on through the series mm-hmm. yeah so episode 14 um is called the fortune teller and i think what i like about this episode is that it it dives into themes of um like destiny versus action mm-hmm. and um yeah, even when everyone, but even when everyone realizes that Aunt Wu, she's like she's kind of what she's doing is kind of baloney mm-hmm. and it's kind of just random. Mm-hmm. Um, the show still doesn't completely discount the value of just kind of putting your faith in in whatever you know, mm-hmm. um, and just it's okay to it's okay to want to believe in random (laughs) mystical things and how destiny and action are both important and they're not mutually exclusive. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's kind of this idea of like, hey, don't be complacent in life and don't rely completely on oracles. But also like there is a comfort in being able to let go um, because you can't, you know, you can't do everything, right? Mm -hmm. I think it was so comedic how they one of the recurring themes of this episode was love and yeah isn't it yeah. so like of course we want always want to know who we're gonna end up marrying um right. like why do we rely on fortunes and signs for love and i think that the yes <laughs> like this this episode uh. <laughs> Okay, wait, I have a question. Yes. Do you think, I would like your opinion, do you think Katara yeah. likes Aang for who he is or because she knew that she would All eventually right. marry Are him? Are we going to open this can of worms like right now? Because we can do it. I think that I, <laughs> here's what I think. I think that Katara and Aang being endgame mm-hmm. is the correct answer. <laughs> However... However, I also think that their character writing, their relationship writing could have been handled a little bit better. Okay. Um, Or I shouldn't say better. Like, I don't want to be, like, prescriptive about it, Mm -hmm. especially with a show like this. But I think that (laughs) – I can hear you laughing. Um, The thing is, I do think that Katara does love Aang. Like, by the end of the show, like, romantic love. Mm -hmm. I do believe that. Mm -hmm. And I believe that it's in line with their characters. Um, People that don't like Katara and Aang together will make – 
several arguments. I think the first one they'll make is that, and I think that it's slightly valid, that they didn't feel like they saw enough of Katara's reciprocating those feelings Mm -hmm. exactly and most of the show is like focused on ang's crush on her and Mm -hmm. it is it is it does feel like it's portrayed as as comedy a lot of the time and so it's not really i feel like their romance it it could have been written with a little bit more layered complexity because if the plan was to make them endgame i do think at some point it should have been treated a little bit more seriously Mm -hmm. because it just it kind of feels like it goes from ang likes katara katara's thinking about it and then we don't (laughs) we don't touch it until like the end where they like surprise surprise (laughs) um and so yeah so i do feel like the relationship is genuine i like that um they decided to put them together because I, I just I just think that the the idea or the relationship dynamic of friends to lovers or like I don't know. I just feel like friends to lovers is not as explored in in shows mm. that much anymore. Like everyone is is all about enemies to lovers and like, <laughs> you know, <there's, laughs> I, here's the thing. I'm not trying to hate on the trope. I do like the trope a lot, but I think that people tend to value that trope over any other romance um like relationship dynamic when I <laughs> sure, honestly believe sure. I I honestly do believe that like friends to lovers and that exploration is more realistic. And it's just as engaging and compelling and beautiful. And and I think if they had handled the writing a little bit better, people maybe would have uh, shipped this a little bit more. The next one talks about Bato. You know, we get to meet Bato from the Water Tribe and Zhang Zhang mm-hmm. the Deserter from the Fire Nation. I like that the writers aren't afraid to show that, just to continually return to the fact that our protagonists and our characters are flawed and sometimes they will do things that even as an audience will be like that's like wrong but also (laughs) what I like is that it really causes some real tension and conflict between the main trio Mm -hmm. and it reminds viewers that you know the main characters friendships are constantly going to be challenged you know no matter how much they love each other that's just the reality of war it's the reality of the situation that they're in Mm -hmm. and I think that the the conflict between the main characters is just so important for um having the characters grow and learn now that you mention that point it makes me think of all these times when the characters are protags wrong each other and they always the writers always make it a point to show explicitly the moment when the characters come to realize how they've wronged each other and then there is a whole moment of apologizing and the other party forgiving them and I love that resolution always being explicitly shown because I think that you can always get caught up in the Mm -hmm. conflict but especially for little kids you have to show them how to resolve conflict instead of always getting into it and it's nice to show kids that sometimes sometimes you don't realize what you've done or that what yeah. you you are doing is something dumb um, until it's too late <laughs> to fix it. And so it's important to show kids um, that, yes, you have to apologize, but also that there's room for apology, that they will forgive yeah. you if you're genuine about it. Yeah. And like sometimes, specifically with that moment with Aang burning Katara's hands, mm-hmm. I really like I really like this episode yeah I really like this episode a lot <laughs> mm-hmm. it's so important to me that this episode happens early in this in the show because this really sets up another big hurdle for Aang 
it's the first time that he tries firebending and he knows he'll have to learn it eventually. But this episode makes him scared of firebending and Mm -hmm. how potentially destructive it is. And just like, and they really go into, and this episode also has lore exposition. A lot. It goes into sort of the like bending as an art form and how it's very different from the other ones because you're really trying to tame a very destructive element a very dangerous element Mm -hmm. and um it it kind of goes into when you're given such immense power how that power can be misused and then for Zhang Zhang as well, this is the first time we see a quote unquote like good firebender or mm-hmm. a firebender that is that doesn't hold the same ideals mm-hmm. as his nation. And I think that it's really essential that the show reminds us that entire societies can't be generalized mm. and that, you know, despite it all, the Fire Nation as a whole isn't the enemy. It's the people in power who are misusing that power mm-hmm. that are the enemy. And just just as like a fantasy fanatic <laughs> like <laughs> yeah just learning that oh like these are the tenets of water bending these are the tenets of earth bending mm-hmm. and this is how fire bending differs like yeah that's so cool isn't it it's just, so like, on cool a, on a basic like objective level that is they there's so much nuance put into the differentiation between the bendings and yet mm-hmm. still somehow we come to appreciate all of them equally there's never um a strong favor that is given to any one right. type of bending. I think that's just super fun and that that yeah. is one of the reasons why so many people and so many kids are kept engaged throughout the story. Um, mm. And then just like the final battle of that episode of Zhao versus Aang and how you see what's been right. explored towards the beginning of the episode really being yes. manifested in the end and how Zhao is kind of outsmarted by Aang because Aang knows now the tenets of firebending and how fire is so hard to control whereas we know Zhao mm. to be the failed student who wasn't able to learn that lesson and so we see him right. like burning up all his ships exactly so yeah goes back to the point it nothing's ever wasted in this in this series I agree and also this is a side note there's mm-hmm. this um writer this fantasy writer named Brian Sanderson very prolific fantasy writer um and he coined the terms soft magic system and hard magic system mm. so if you're ever trying to write a fantasy and um are trying to figure out what your magic system is or what you want it to be I would like highly recommend like checking it out because I think that Avatar is referenced as a great example of a hard magic system mm-hmm. um in the sense that like the rules are the rules of bending are um introduced explained explored and like elevated elevated in a lot of understandable and realistic ways not exactly. just oh where did yeah. that come from right exactly and that's what makes it cool mm-hmm. that's what makes that's the what makes it cool. like way more cool exactly like because yeah. if it was something that was beyond comprehension it would kind of yeah. just be like okay i'll accept that doesn't it. make any sense <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah it'll be like an unwilling acceptance of whatever they present to us but exactly um, all right, and then finally, episode 17 of the section. I really liked yeah. this episode. Um, yeah. Love, okay, like by the time we get to episode 17 and I saw their amazing portrayal of a character with like a physical impairment, I was like, yeah, mm-hmm. of course this this series would do this right. What else does it do wrong? Nothing. <laughs> um, yeah. But Teo as a portrayal of a character with a physical impairment, I think that it's so important to 
portray these kinds of characters in a positive yes. light rather than a mm-hmm. light where it's like, you poor thing. Yeah. It just highlights the disability too much. Yeah, Whereas for this, this series takes takes a lot of care to show how Teo is he is on par in every way with Aang when he's mm-hmm. in the air. Aang, yeah. who is an actual airbender, and they are on par with their speed, their agility, um, like the techniques that they can do in the air. And so his mm-hmm. disability is shed in a very positive light. And in fact, it actually is a motivating factor for him to go further beyond what some people might think he's capable of. And then it segues into an amazing discussion about tradition versus progress, which has right. nothing to do with physical impairment, right? Like they yeah. don't they don't linger on that um, subject for too long at all. So I think I really, really like this episode for those reasons. Yeah. Yeah, actually, like, now that you mention it, like, I, I actually didn't have anything in my notes about Teo, like, not having use of his legs and, like, mm-hmm. being in a wheelchair because, like, they don't talk about it that much. Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't even remember them talking about it that much. Um, and I think that is, like, great representation in its own way. I really like that this the the episode explores this idea of um, technology mm-hmm. and sort of Aang's uh, immediate aversion to it, but slowly being able to accept it and accept the fact that, you know, in, in their own way, the people that are now living in this air temple are kind of keeping the spirit of airbenders alive. Yeah. Um, so I really liked that because it's kind of like, hey, we can use like science and technology for such powerful things. So we're going to go straight into the finale, episodes 19 to 20, The Siege of the North. Yes. This finale did not disappoint me. Like it mm-hmm. was, there was so much going on. And <laughs> There's then so much happening. <laughs> there was so much happening. But at the same time, the stakes like the stakes were always high. There was so yeah. much happening, but I never felt like I was confused about why things were happening. So right. a great example that I have of this is when um, Iroh, like General Iroh gets there and he's like chastising um, Zhao for trying to kill the moon spirit and eventually doing mm-hmm. so. And he like yeah. fights back against his warriors. I feel like that's a scene that very well could have been like a why is Iroh fighting against his own people kind of moment? Exactly. But because of the setup that I've been getting and the all I know about Iroh and his character, this is so believable to me, you know? And when I say that so many things happen, if we think about it, we are in the tundra. We are in the water <laughs> water tribe's walls. We are in yeah. their spiritual sanctuary. We are in yeah. the spirit world. Like the, yeah. we get to see we and pass so many different settings, and there are so many multiple storylines happening that it can easily be confusing. But somehow mm. the writers are able to connect everything together within the span of a two episode uh, duration. Yeah. And that's mm. like. That's what I want from a finale, you know? It's crazy because the writing, like we've been saying, is just so efficient and the pacing is so Mm -hmm. pitch perfect. And like just to jump back to the first part before the battle actually happens, I really like that episode 19. It it feels like this calm before the storm type Mm -hmm. episode. And we before the, the actual siege starts, we take the time to check in on all the characters. And I like that I think that knowing and establishing strongly like where everyone's headspace and like goals and motivations and right. and hopes for you know the siege like 
I think knowing all of that creates a lot more impactful action and just better thematic payoff. And then, yeah, for for part two, the imagery of Zhao like slaying the moon spirit, and I, I think like everything sort of turns this blood red color, like mm. in the in the actual like visual animation. Mm-hmm. That visual is so strong and literally paints the episode in this feeling of like violence and hopelessness. Yes. And it's not only Aang that, that tells Zhao that's wrong, but like you said, it's Iroh. And I think that explores one of Avatar's core themes, which is like the the destructiveness of going against nature mm-hmm. for personal gain. Mm-hmm. And um, that really like comes up a lot in the show. I like that the I like the thematic significance of Yue sacrificing herself. Mm-hmm. Um to become it's the moon spirit. Like it's meme. a meme now, but it's still it's become meme. But let's zoom out for a second. And uh, Sokka's yeah, girlfriend yeah, yeah. became the moon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, if you actually think about Yue's character, we literally only know her for like two and a half episodes before she like becomes the moon. Uh-huh. But I think that her sacrifice is still powerful because what we learn about her is that she, um, the moon spirit kind of gave her life as a baby. Like I think her parents like prayed to the moon spirit mm-hmm. or whatever and the moon spirit saved her as a baby. And so this idea of her giving her life back to the moon spirit mirrors the sort of natural oh, balance or circle of true. life theme that is especially strong. Like give and um, take during this finale and i would say it's a pillar of the show as well Mm -hmm. and just also the imagery of the fish in the pond like um the moon spirit and the ocean spirit circling each other Mm. in the pond it's it's like very cyclical in my notes i wrote i can't believe Sokka is literally out here having a romantic affair arc during the season finale and the final battle i didn't (laughs) (laughs) okay i don't want i don't want this to sound like a critique because Okay. Honestly, if I were to zoom out and think of it as a kid's show and like, I don't really, I'm not going to, it's not really a critique, okay. but this is just I a just side feel, thought. this is just a side thought. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, Sokka like falls in love with his UA like, <laughs> in the it. blink of an eye. Like I it happens it. so fast. It's like, boom. But you know I what? I remember Whatever. the moment. No, I remember. It's, yeah. it's when he's on, they're on Appa. And then yes. Katara goes, it's beautiful here. And then Sokka turns his head, <laughs> sees her, and goes, it sure is. <laughs> Here's the I thing. Remember. Here's the thing. From what we know about Sokka's character, like, it's not out of character for him to just decide that he <laughs> loves this girl. Yeah. So I think it's fine. And that's the reason why I'm not going to add it as a critique. But the mm-hmm. other thing is, I didn't feel, though, that they're... <laughs> 48 hour romance it was necessary to make ua's character and sacrifice have impact I like I, I i can see why they would want to add in the side romance because mm-hmm. you know it's a kid's show and i think having the romantic attachment um via Sokka is easy for kids to like follow and understand mm-hmm. and like to attribute more meaning to her character mm-hmm. that's it's not a critique i just think it's like <laughs> It's just like really, you had to like make her like a romantic love interest for like two seconds. Right, Whatever, I'm right. over it. Um, and then the last point that I had about the last episode, episode twenty, is when Zhao is getting taken away by the mm-hmm. ocean spirit, yes. and he Zuko reaches out to him and he retracts his hand from him. Yeah, and I thought that that was really powerful. 
I can't help but think about what Zuko's reaction would have been to being saved by Aang while they were in the tundra. You know how yeah. Aang is like, we can't leave him here, he'll die. Right, right, right. But he yeah. was unconscious in the snow. Mm-hmm. But like, it truly just goes to show how how much of a role pride has played in Admiral Zhao's life. I agree, actually. I never thought about that. Like, I never thought about this idea of like, if he had been conscious to see Aang helping him and like how that pride would have affected him maybe mm-hmm. negatively mm-hmm. yeah that's actually a really good point i i do think that that moment that um with between Zhao and zuko is like it's so important and i think it literally it lasts only a second yeah, but i think it's it so really fast. it speaks volumes to again the goodness that is like lying deep down in zuko's heart mm-hmm. that he would so quickly put aside his goals to help someone that like he doesn't have to and mm-hmm. that you know has been actually against yeah, him tries to exactly. assassinate him amazing any other last points i um love that we get a tease for azula oh <laughs> that's right end. that's right yeah azula our season two three villain is a fantastic character she's so, so hot <laughs> she's t- <laughs> period She's so good. Just she is. She has truly. <laughs> she has truly ascended into a cultural reset status. I scroll on Twitter sometimes, yeah. and I see her as people's icons, like three times a day, probably. And I'm like, is this the same Azula Stan account, or is this a different one? Oh, tell um, me how she has a, <laughs> a two second scene in this book, and we are and talking her about her in, in this <laughs> podcast. I think it's so interesting that Azula, um, she is honestly a vicious character, but so many mm. people love her. Mm-hmm. It's fantastic writing is what it is, folks. <laughs> Take notes, everyone. Take, Take notes, everyone. Notes. Okay, so our next segment is called the Bechtel test. Um, so this is a test that was devised by a cartoonist named Alison Bechtel. And it's basically a measure of representation um, or female representation in any given media. So the test comprises of three easy questions. Um, so the questions are, are there at least two named female characters? Do they speak to each other? And do they speak to each other about something other than a male Love interest. So, um, I don't know if this show passes the Vectal <laughs> test. Yeah, I I think it's actually very exciting that mm. we finally have a show where we can very definitively say it does. Because if you look it's at all our other exciting. episodes, it's like, does it? <laughs> yes, <laughs> but I don't want it to. Yes, but I don't want it to. Yes, pass. but it barely passes. Yeah, but this show definitively this is very exciting. Definitely passes. It's so exciting, guys. We didn't even have to talk about it beforehand. We weren't even yeah, like, yeah. So do you think it passes? Like, like we usually are. Yeah. But not only that, but it outwardly, explicitly has episodes that speak to the portrayal of female characters and feminism, sexism. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at you, episode 18. Um, this is the episode where we meet Master Paku for the first time, and he initially refuses to teach Katara waterbending, but because she's a girl. So, 
I love that this comes in at episode 18, which is towards the end of the season, because at this point, we already know that Katara is more than capable of holding her own in a in a bending battle. So we immediately feel for like feel for her. We're in her shoes. We feel the pain of the injustice that she's dealt. Um, mm mm-hmm. And so it's clear what position and stance the writer is taking for this episode. I I agree with you that I think it's great that this comes in at the end of the season because um, earlier in the season, we see that Katara is like already facing like misogynistic comments from Sokka. Like, Mm -hmm. and every time Sokka acts misogynistic even for comedy it is he's always called out on it and he's always reprimanded either by other characters or by situational yeah. things that happen to exactly. him exactly and it never feels like um never feels like pandering it never feels yeah. heavy-handed um and even in like the warriors of kiyoshi episode which is literally all about sokka being like you guys are just a bunch of girls mm-hmm. <laughs> that's literally his like whole his whole arc in that episode is just him thinking that he can like come up in here and think that he's a better warrior than these these women that have literally been training uh-huh. in this art form um for like you know years and years and i feel like suki also challenges sokka's misogyny not even just by like saying like hey that's like really a really bad thing for you to say like <laughs> hey. don't think of girls like that she doesn't just say that mm-hmm. she like she shows it like she shows that she's cool and stuff mm-hmm. um so i think that's really a really good um exploration of um themes of misogyny yeah. so just on the topic yeah. of Sokka now and mm-hmm. the way that he portrays misogyny it yeah this show was unlike anything that i've seen before in that it explicitly portrays sexism in in the show and then they're subverting it right so Mm -hmm. it's amazing to see because not a lot of other shows you don't see other shows doing it you see other shows kind of beating around the bush because what they're trying to do is that they're trying to show you oh yeah like um this is how you should act whereas this show Mm. is more so here this is how you shouldn't act because a this is what will happen (laughs) and b this is why it's wrong so it's it's very explicitly teaching you why misogyny is wrong what are the consequences of it right and to have to ascribe the role of misogynist to the main character like a part of the main three cast one of the main characters yeah and have that presence always be there um but having him learn along the way and like having that be Mm -hmm. a part of his character development is i think is it's like masterful yeah with just Paku, like going back to Paku, mm-hmm. I think the sort of like little twist of him being a misogynist and sort of defending it in the name of like, that's just our culture and traditions. Yeah. And like, if you're here, you're just going to abide by that. Um, and like they, Katara and Aang just like don't accept that. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is so like people can have like traditions that can be wrong and can be challenged and should be challenged Mm -hmm. i had one tiny gripe um Mm -hmm. with this the only gripe i had was that paku only accepts katara yeah i know what you're gonna say yeah after he learns that katara is the granddaughter of the woman that he was betrothed to and that he loved um are you sure (laughs) question mark (laughs) <laughs> yeah that's the only thing I didn't like because it just kind of felt that 
I really wish that Katara finally becoming, but finally being accepted as a student could have been clearly out of her own, Mm -hmm. um, her proving herself so, so explicitly. And it just, it Mm -hmm. wasn't. (laughs) I I had the same gripe. The thing that I tried to justify that with was maybe the authors were trying to say something along the lines of we have a lot to owe for those who came before us because we do know Mm -hmm. that grand grand like she left because of these un right nonsensical rules that they had about Mm -hmm. women and bending so i took it as a testament to we have a lot to owe to these people who have fought for us and because yeah. of their work and effort we now have a lot of what we can enjoy because of that i the other thing i had to say about katara is that it's it's just so great the way that they develop her character mm-hmm. because what we know is that she becomes this like incredibly powerful bender um but i think that really focusing in on her like journey and her like struggles to um become the bender that she is 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 also just like really great female representation mm-hmm. um because as a female she has these extra hurdles to jump over um to get to where she's at and the fact that she's able to um get there and surpass everyone mm-hmm. is like she's just such a great character yeah she's great i, I love, love that a lot. One of the the gripes that I find we have a lot with other series is using female characters for the development of yes <laughs> of male characters or the um the moving forward of the plot. And we I don't think yeah. I can think of a single scene of that happening with any main character that plays a very important role arguably you could say that Yue was but then she even served her own purpose for the story right but she also had like a greater thematic exactly um but like I'm just thinking specifically of the Zhang Zhang episode again where Aang accidentally Mm -hmm. burns Katara and Katara screams Mm -hmm. and she's like ah I'm hurt and Aang immediately feels bad and then I think that mm-hmm. upon first glean, you can see it as, oh, using Katara for Aang's character development. But then you see mm-hmm. that really her pain is so short-lived and it leads directly into the discovery of her healing powers. So if anything, yeah. Katara grows from this from this incident. So right. the use of Katara's pain is more so seen as a consequence of being reckless than it is as yeah. a random catalyst for Aang's character development. And so I like right. I saw that scene and I thought to myself, like, wow, this scene could have gone a different way completely. But the writers, it feels like the writers take a lot of care to make it so that that doesn't happen. She's just great. Like she's really all these characters, like even the side characters, everyone just stands on their yeah. own um, and independently, which is great. And also with UA. Like, I think a lot of times when we talk about the Bechdel test and we, like, praise certain um, female characters, it's often because, like, oh, they're subverting certain uh-huh. expectations for women. Yue is, you know, she's she comes in as a love interest. She's sort of this, like, pretty girl. She's very feminine, whatever. Mm-hmm. But she's still also a great character that stands on her own and has a character mm-hmm. arc. And she's not, like, a badass fighter. She's not a fighter mm-hmm. at all. But, um... But like you still kind of connect with her in her own way. And despite what I said earlier, she isn't 
like she isn't completely like this like token romantic mm-hmm. love interest mm-hmm. character um, just for Sokka. Like she serves a greater purpose to yeah, the story. So. Sure. Okay. So that wraps up our Bechdel test. Now for Yay. our dumpster fire. Okay. Okay. So now we've just talked about female representation yeah. in media. Now let's, let's just, just barf. barf. Um, okay. Yeah. So dumpster <laughs> fire is a time when we can just literally say whatever we want about anything we want. It's just everything that we haven't already said yet that we're just going to say right now. <laughs> um, so, okay. So we had talked about the dumpster fire earlier and we said that this dumpster fire is mm-hmm. going to be a little bit different because yeah, there are just some things in life that you hold to <laughs> such a pedestal that you can't afford to have I'm no brain cells in regards to it. Like, we can't be too stupid about Avatar because Avatar is not stupid for us. So we have to reciprocate <laughs> in the appropriate fashion. But also it's because if you asked me to have no brain cells and be dumb in a discussion about Avatar, I would literally just sit here and go... <laughs> <laughs> Like, I wouldn't even form words. Yeah. So. Um, <laughs> what are we even going to talk about? I don't, like, I have no notes for this section. I, I wrote three things. I wrote cultural reset, reception, Zutara agenda? Question mark, question mark, question mark. Um, we're not going to talk about the Zutara agenda because honestly, guys, this episode would get way too long. Yeah. I think it's really rare. Um, and maybe especially back in the early thousands to have a kids show that treats kids entertainment with so much maturity Mm -hmm. and respect. And by respect, I mean respecting its audience and not expecting the like, oh, it's because it's kids. We have to make it dumb and funny. Like there's there's a lot of real hard hitting themes and in the show. And um, I think this is not to bash like other types of animated shows that came out around this time like Spongebob because mm. do not get me wrong, I like I love Spongebob. <laughs> we need those shows too. Yeah. I have infinite respect for Spongebob Squarepants. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I think he's amazing and great and that show is great in its own mm-hmm. way for different reasons. But I think that Avatar is special in the way that audiences are looking back at it now realizing that – the writing really did hit different mm-hmm. on so many levels. And I, I think it just, again, goes back to they set out to write a kid's show, but to treat kids with a lot more intelligently mm-hmm. and to touch upon um, hard, difficult themes and presenting them in very um, real ways. Themes that I really do truly believe that are – yeah. And are, are relevant, relevant to life, to modern society. Yeah, to life. Yeah. Like these are the things that you're going to need to carry with you in order to interact with people, in order to better understand the society that you live in. Um, and then yeah. while they're they're doing that, they're appreciating different cultures. They're appreciating the beauty of um, different aspects of nature and of people. Mm-hmm. It tells human stories and. It's it's giving us oh my gosh there's just so many things that I can <laughs> list that this show it's everything does well and I think writing a, like a show like this for kids is so much more difficult than trying to write this show for an older audience because you have to really balance like how do we touch upon these themes mm-hmm. how do we explore this plot point 
while making it understandable, while making it PG, but also not watering down the um, like the emotion and like the, the uh-huh. difficulty of those themes. Mm-hmm. It's so difficult. Like I, I don't. I don't know like how I would do that. Like I, I would have a lot of issues writing for something for a that kid's I audience. just thought of right now is all those times in the series where Aang is defeated and he's just saying, I'm just a 12 year old kid. Mm-hmm. But in reality, exactly. like, sometimes kids have to go through difficult things too, right? Like it's important for mm-hmm. kids who aren't going through the most difficult things to have empathy and to understand those who are. And for those who are Mm -hmm. going through difficult times to realize that, yes, you're seen. We know that life can get hard sometimes. And also here is somebody that you can relate to and that you can see as an example of how do I deal with difficult situations that sometimes are just too hard for a kid to handle. And these lessons are so important. Like I'm very partial to childhood Mm -hmm. development Um, in that I'm a strong believer that you take what you get from childhood and that stays with you your whole life. And that shapes like the Mm -hmm. kind of person you become. Um, And so that's why I feel such strong emotions about what kids see and what they experience. And so Mm -hmm. that's like a personal reason for me why a show like Avatar being out there is such a comfort to me. um, Because I think that not only is it entertaining, but it also teaches them such important lessons like that. Yeah, and, like, I think kids, like, they internalize things, like, without realizing, Mm -hmm. and sometimes when those experiences are negative, we have to, you know, like Zuko, we have to, when we learn things in our childhood and internalize them that we realize later are wrong, we have to go through this very laborious process of unlearning those Mm -hmm. things, and that in itself is a very valuable process and a very necessary and difficult Mm -hmm. one. Yeah, but I guess on just one last note, mm-hmm. on a dumpster fire related note. Yeah, why did you give this sixteen year old this sixteen year old? <laughs> he's sixteen. Up. Don't give him abs. I don't need to see abs on a sixteen year old. The FBI is on it on their way as we speak. <laughs> it is dumpster it fire. Is dumpster it is dumpster fire. fire. Let us let us light the fire. Just let me let um, me. <laughs> I agree with you that, again, I watched this as an adult as well. <laughs> so, like, I had to, I'm like, I'm not self-restrained. You know that mean that's like, I'm looking respectfully. Um, <laughs> he's yeah. like our little brother. I, you, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> um, Zugo's character writing, I, I guess I'm just like very, I, 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 I'm very I'm starting to talk to... about his abs and this this girl goes, Zuko's character writing? <laughs> Let me continue. <laughs> like okay we get it no it's I, the point is relevant I let see. me explain i'm just okay got it i see okay i hate it here okay yeah yeah so i the reason that i didn't want to make this segment about picking our favorite characters which is what we usually mm-hmm. do for dumpster mm-hmm. fire is because i love all these characters so much and i feel like they are so mm-hmm. integral in their own ways that i i don't want to pick a favorite character <laughs> but <laughs> With that said, I think I'm very partial to the exploration of morally gray themes and the and mm-hmm. kind of the the str- the internal struggle of like determining what's right and unlearning things. Um, so I think that's why like I, I feel like Zuko is just a character that a lot of people really relate to because his character growth is crazy yeah. um, in the show and. 
and then they decided to make them hot. So what am I supposed to do? Like, <laughs> like what am I supposed to do? I swear my type is 18-year-olds and up. Um, let me just make that very clear. Um, yes. The other thing is, though, despite all of that, despite us loving Zuko mm-hmm. and loving Katara, we do not love Zutara. And that's my conclusion. Yeah, please don't ask us any further questions. Thank you. Please don't ask us. Well, we will not be taking any further questions at this time. Um, Thank you. Yeah, I'm exercising my Miranda rights. So yes. it's, I have the right it's to our silence. It's our podcast. If we don't want to talk about something, we're not going to talk about it. But we do want you to know we are not Zutara Shippers. Yeah. Yes. We don't have anything against it. We just have feelings about we it. We were Let's literally like, we don't want to talk about it anymore. And then we kept on talking about it first. It's because you brought him up. What am I supposed to do? People are gonna people are gonna think. Okay. 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 Let's do our ratings. <laughs> that got so derailed. Let's, let's Let us okay. move on. Yeah. yeah. My rating for Avatar. Surprise, surprise. It was so difficult, guys. <laughs> Um, my rating for Avatar is going to be five out of five oppas. Oh, that's so cute. That's a good one. Um, this is a very easy five to give. It feels very liberating to be able to confidently give a show a five out of five. Um, because honestly, I can't even if I wanted to think about a solid critique. And like I said, this show has just transcended like time and space mm. for me like I just feel like it is up there with like maybe one or two other pieces of media that just mean so much to me in a way that I can't even begin to explain anymore yeah. and I just it's so it has that very special factor to me that just gives me the warm fuzzies and also just objectively it is great writing mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I would recommend it to anyone no matter how old mm-hmm. you are um and I chose oppas because honestly oppa even oppa even oppa goes through some stuff in this series he has great character writing like honestly like when we go into oppa's character in season two like ooh, that got me crying Mm, that got me crying yeah and he deserves love because we didn't even mention him once (gasps) in this episode so we need to get maybe we did i think we should restart (laughs) the podcast I think we should restart the podcast and just talk about Appa. Um, No, I just like love Uh Appa. He's so cute and he's just so cute and big. Okay, yeah, that's that's it for me. Five out of five stinky Uncle Iroh sandals. (laughs) Oh my god, yes! Uh, When Zuko was like, this is Iroh's. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god, yeah, that's so cute. Yeah, I mean, I don't have too much to say. I feel like for the past two hours hour and a half we've just been talking about why we love this show and so I really do feel like it does feel liberating to finally be like Mm -hmm. yes this passes the Bechtel test this is a five out of five Mm -hmm. you know we can finally say that with confidence um a little teaser for the next episode I feel like that one will also be liberating (laughs) we are really being indulgent here because the next episode is going to be another one of our favorites. absolute favorites. Like I, oh my god, I can't, I can't. I have to stop thinking about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we have to wrap my this heart up. is beating fast. Okay, um, so that brings us to the end of 
episode four. Thank you for listening, for getting this far. We know it wasn't easy, but we appreciate it. Subscribe to our channel on YouTube at The Workshop, Spotify at The Workshop. Um, We're on Apple Music. Apple Podcasts. Yeah, Apple Podcasts, as well as... Wait, is that it? Sorry. Oh, and follow us on Twitter. Add Into The Workshop. And I guess we will catch you guys next time. Bye. Bye.